0: Now, my question for you is this Have you ever had a kid tell you a story that seemed to go on forever? And there are so many details that as you're listening to this whole thing, you're like, this sounds like nonsense. Like, I don't even know what's happening. I don't even know how to piece all of the pieces together. It just doesn't even make any sense. And try as you might, you can't seem to follow along. Well, that's really what it was like three days after Jesus died, the morning of Easter, the first Easter. Uh, just as we read from Luke 24, we find that the women go to Jesus's tomb and as they're on their way there, they're filled with grief at the passing of Jesus. And yet on their way back, they return telling a story that no one can quite make sense of. No one can understand that it's just disregarded as nonsense. It's a story of a ton stone that has been removed and rolled away out of position. It's a story of men who are clothed in lightning. It's, it's a story of ad, admonishment for looking for the living among the dead. It's a story of vanishing body. Like none of this makes any sense whatsoever. It was hard to make heads or tails out of it. I mean, everyone had seen Jesus tortured and killed. Everyone had seen him take his last breath. Everyone had seen the sky turn dark. Everyone had seen the soldiers examine the body to make sure that there was no life left. And they knew that somebody had taken the body and wrapped it and placed it in a tomb. And they knew that the tomb had been sealed. So no one was leaving and no one was going in so now the story that was coming out of the mouth of mary magdalene and joanna and and the other mary the mother of james was that jesus had been raised from the dead and it just didn't make any sense i mean really in the same way that five weeks ago if you had told us that this is how we would be celebrating easter it wouldn't have made any sense you never ever would have anticipated that this is how we would be spending Easter. It was outside of our reality. And in the same way, none of the disciples could have ever anticipated this either. They didn't expect that this was going to be their reality. And even though Jesus told them like, hey, this is what's going to happen, like be prepared for this, uh, they just didn't get it. And even though they had gone to the tomb, even after they had gone to the tomb, It just didn't fit into their worldview, and so the whole thing seemed like nonsense. And really, that's the mindset the disciples had as two of the followers of Jesus walked on a road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, this village that was about seven miles away at the end of the Gospel of Luke. They're confused and they're uncertain and perhaps even frustrated and angry at the situation that they, they just don't understand what's happening. And so on the same day, of the reports of Jesus' resurrection, Luke tells us about these two guys walking on this road. And they were doing the thing that all of us do in crisis. They were talking about the crisis. For them, they were talking about the resurrection of Jesus, these reports that were coming in. Now for us, in the midst of our crisis, if we were walking down the road, we'd be talking about two things, COVID-19 and Tiger King. Those would be our things. But they're talking about Jesus, and they're replaying the events again and again and again. And what Luke tells us is this, that as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. They just thought this is a random guy, just this stranger that just wanted to walk near them. Not social distancing protocol. But I love this because it makes me think, how often is it that Jesus is walking beside us? Even in our darkest moment, he's walking with us, but we can't recognize him. Now, I do wrestle with the phrase that is used, though, they were kept from recognizing him. It's, as if it was like a big game of keep away and I wanna go to God and I wanna be like, why? (laughs) Why, why did you do that? Why sometimes do you keep things hidden from us? Why does this happen? And the reality is, is I really just don't know the answer but I do know that all of us have experienced these times where we can't see God. These times where we look around at the things that are happening and we're like, God, what's the purpose of all of this? Like, why is this happening? I wanna trust that you're doing something, but, but I can't see it. None of it makes sense. It all seems bad. It all seems like nothing good can from, come from this. It seems like hope has ended. It seems like the story is over. So what are we doing? It all just seems like nonsense. But then the disguised Jesus asks them what they're talking about. And the two guys, they they tell this stranger, they tell this guy, they say, well, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sen- sentenced to death and they crucified him but we had hoped we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem israel and what's more it's the third day since all of this took place and in addition some of our women amazed us they they went to the tomb early this morning and they didn't find his body they came to us and and they had that, and said that they had seen a vision of an angel who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see Jesus. Now, what's really interesting in this story is like these two guys who have, are like, we don't know what happened. They just said the whole story. They like recounted and parroted back the entire story of what had happened, but they're still like, but we don't get it. We don't understand what possibly could have happened. We don't get what is going on. See, there's a difference between knowing the facts of something and believing the implications of the thing. And I just imagine Jesus being like, um, you just said what happened. You literally just said <laughs> event by event by event what happened, but they didn't get it. It still didn't make sense. And so... Jesus, just like he did so many times before with his disciples, before he even died, he explained how the Messiah was going to need to suffer. That from the beginning of the story, this is how it was all planned out to be. That the Messiah would suffer and die to bring life and resurrection, not just to himself, but, but to all people. That, that this part wasn't the end. And we're told in the explanation was helpful for the disciples, they kind of started to get it and maybe click on a few things, but they still didn't really totally understand what was happening. And then Jesus did something that actually changed the game. And it started with an invitation from the disciples who were walking along the road. They turned to Jesus, and as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going to walk further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening, the day is almost over. And so he went to stay with them and he was at the table with them and he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. It's a crazy story. But what Jesus changes what, what changes is when Jesus sits down and eats with them. The whole thing is strange because you would have expected that when Jesus came back, he would have come in like glory and glitter. He would have announced with trumpets, doo do, I'm back, he would have done that. And then I imagine that Jesus would have been like, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're punished, but I like you because you stay, right? He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't come in great fanfare. Instead, he comes incognito and he just sits down for a meal after an invitation. Now, for them, for the three of them right there, the meal is not just a meal. See, for us, when somebody invites you to have some food, it it just is some food. But back then, a meal meant so much more. Inviting somebody to sit down for a meal together was actually an invitation for like a deep and abiding relationship. And so what they were doing was they were inviting Jesus to come be in relationship with them, to come fellowship together. And it's during the course of this fellowship and in and, and this relationship and engagement with the disciples that their eyes are opened. It's as if all the pieces that seemed like nonsense all of a sudden come together in the middle of this meal It all made sense. Now, after this happened, Jesus like disappears and I'm sure the two of them are looking back and forth like, oh my gosh, that was him. Oh my gosh, it was him. And they get up instantaneously, like maybe even without speaking because they know what they're supposed to do. They run back to Jerusalem. They run back to Jerusalem because they have got to tell the other people what had happened. They have to tell them that they saw Jesus, that they talked to him, that they ate with him, that the risen Lord is inviting them into a relationship. With them, they have to tell somebody. Now, it's interesting that what the disciples don't do is they don't go visit Jesus' grave, right? In our culture, a lot of times we set up shrines at graves. Wherever somebody is buried, oftentimes we will set up that as a place to go have a meaningful connection with that particular person. Uh, maybe it's not a grave site but maybe there are if a person was um, um, was cremated you have their ashes and you put it in a place of honor and you set up pictures and maybe light candles but you go to those places in those moments in order to feel a connection with the person that has died but you know what the disciples never do they never go back to the grave They never set up a shrine, they never set up a memorial to Jesus at the grave site. In fact, we don't even know where the grave is. Now, if you go visit the Holy Land, they will tell you this is where the grave is, but the reality is, is nobody really knows. The reason that they've decided that that is the grave site is because Constantine, the Holy Roman Empire, his mother was very interested in the life of Jesus. And so when Christianity became the state religion of the Holy Roman Empire, she actually went And she sort of did the investigatory work and tried to figure out where the grave was. And and based on the best knowledge that she had, she kind of said, hey, this is the grave site. And so they have that, but nobody really knows where the grave is. And do you want to know why the disciples didn't go back to the grave to be connected to Jesus? because Jesus was alive. Jesus was alive and you can have a relationship and they could have a relationship with him right then, wherever it was that they were, because Jesus was alive. Now I imagine that as they were eating, they maybe were reminiscing about their times and and how great things were, and how awesome it was to be a disciple. Because those two disciples run back and they start telling the other disciples in Jerusalem, hey, listen, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. We can have a real relationship with him. It's so great. And in that moment, Jesus appears to them in that room. And Jesus says, peace be with you. And he does the same exact thing that he did with the disciples on the road. He he tells them, he says, hey, do you have anything to eat? Like we need to eat together. We need to be in relationship with one another. And I just can't imagine how excited the disciples were. And then Jesus offers something that changes the trajectory of these guys' whole life. He tells them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and raise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem, right where we are. You are witnesses of these things and I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. See Jesus is basically telling them, "Hey, from this point on because you've seen me, because you've experienced me, because we are in relationship with one another, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to have you be my witnesses." Basically what Jesus is saying is like, "I love you. You're really cool." I like hanging out with you, and I love that I get to offer you a relationship and forgiveness and resurrection. But to be honest, I didn't just draw you into this thing just so you could experience it alone. Jesus is trying to get them to understand that he wants all people to experience this. He wants all people to be a part of this relationship. He wants all people to be included, to experience resurrection and and forgiveness and love. And so what Jesus is doing is he's sending his disciples out first in the places right around them, right where they live, right where they live and they work and they play. And then he's saying, go out, go out into all of the world and you'll have power from the Holy Spirit. And since that moment, nothing has been able to stop the church from continuing to go out and witness to the resurrection of Jesus and sharing the good news of the kingdom. Now, you may be like, well, wait a second. Like in the wake of coronavirus, isn't everything shut down? Well, think about this for a second. Yes, coronavirus has brought a lot of things to a halt, but not the church. We might not be able to meet in person, but the church isn't Closed. The building might be closed, but the but the people aren't. Our faith isn't, in fact, in the wake of this cultural moment. The church is advancing more than ever before. Now you might be asking me, like, well, how do you know that? (laughs) Where's the data? How do you know that? And the way that I know that is because we have seen this story before. We've seen this story before. Anytime the church can't meet Anytime the church has to go underground, anytime the church faces oppression where they can't do things the way that they were doing things or they thought that they were supposed to do things, anytime there's sort of this squeezing of the church, what happens is that growth becomes unprecedented. That it's accelerated like never before, and the kingdom spreads. It's like a virus that can't be seen. It passes from one person to the next, to the next, to the next, and it can't be stopped. Now, every night—this is probably a terrible practice, but every night I pull up my phone and I open the weather (laughs) app— And I am looking for the weather because I find that when it's cloudy, I have a hard time getting through the day. And when it's sunny, it's a bit easier. So I'm looking for the weather, but the other thing that I do (coughs) is I go to the little tab in the lower right hand corner that says COVID 19, and it's got this red spiky ball. And I click on that. And what it takes me to is it takes me to the count. It takes me to the infection count for both the county and the state and it displays the death count of how many people in our county and in our state have died as a result of this virus. And honestly, it's really overwhelming and it's a bit frightening and it's really sad (laughs) because each one of those numbers I know doesn't just represent one person that has been affected. Each of those numbers actually represents a community, a family, a a location of of suffering and death. And it's not just that one person, it's it's their whole family. It's their entire community surrounding that person that is being affected and grieved as a result of this. And that's why as a church we're praying. That's why we started this prayer chain to pray for our congregation and our community. And and we try to pray from Monday through Saturday from 8 a.m. to 12 But there's another count that I try so hard to hold on to, and it's not listed on the weather app. It's the count that only heaven sees. It's the kingdom count. It's the life count. It's the one, it's the count of the kingdom that is moving faster than the virus. It's the speed at which light is traveling faster than darkness It's the percentage of hope moving into the chaos and into the graves and offering resurrection. And no, it doesn't show up on the weather app, but that doesn't mean that it's not just as real and just as true. The kingdom is moving and the kingdom is advancing even when it looks like death. And that's why Jesus is sending his disciples out. That's why he's sending us out, so that everyone might have hope. So that everyone can know that in the middle of this darkness, there is light. In the middle of the death, there is life. In the middle of the pain and suffering, there is resurrection. And Jesus wants to make abundantly clear to his disciples what this hope is. And so he asks them to do something that's a little strange. When he's meeting with all of his disciples in this room, he actually turns to them and he says like, hey, look at my hands. Look at my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Now, this is a really weird thing that Jesus does. He always does weird things. He shows them his wounds. He shows them his hands and his feet, and then he says, touch it. <laughs> it's this really weird thing. In fact, uh, it's funny because a couple days ago, Zach was hiking, and he was like whittling a vine or something, and he actually cut his finger. He cut it pretty bad. And, and uh, as it's been healing every, <laughs> every day, it feels like he comes up to me, and he goes, and kiss that. <laughs> And he shows me his gross little scabby finger. Kiss that. And I'm like, ew, no, that's gross. I don't want to touch your wounds. I don't want to. That's so nasty, but that's what Jesus does. Touch it. <laughs> to his hands and his feet. And it's a strange thing to do, but the reason he does this is, is a really good one. See, up until three days ago, before Jesus died, the disciples had thought that Jesus was gonna become president of their country. And they thought that they were gonna be the cabinet members that were gonna sit around the table and rule from on high, that they had a ticket to ride. But then when the nails pierced Jesus's hands and his feet, when that happened, their lives were over. Everything they thought would happen Everything that they hoped for was over. The nails sent them back to whatever it was that they were doing before. If they were tax collectors, that meant, I guess I got to go back to doing that. If they're fishermen, I guess I have to go do that. They knew at the core of their being, they thought that the nails that ended Jesus's life ended theirs as well. But when Jesus stretched out his arms and basic, he's basically saying, you know those nails that you thought destroyed your life? They're actually the ones that saved your life. They're actually the ones that resurrected your life. They're actually the ones that gave your life meaning and purpose. See, the resurrection doesn't erase the pain and the wounds and the hurt and the suffering that Jesus experienced. And it doesn't erase yours either. What the resurrection does is that it redeems the nails. It redeems the pain and the suffering that you have experienced. It allows the thing that we thought ended our life to actually be the thing that redeems our life. It allows the thing that we thought killed us to be the thing that gives us meaning and purpose and renewal. Now this encounter that Jesus had sit with his disciples is the same encounter that Jesus is inviting you into as well. He invites you into a relationship with him so that you can experience the redemption of the nails. That the world might know (coughs) hope and light and life and forgiveness. That all the things that didn't make sense would become clear when we join him at the table. And today I want to invite you to join him at the table to take communion and participate in a meal with Jesus. It's a simple one with just two elements. There's the bread that represents Jesus's body that was broken so that we could be in relationship with him. And the cup that represents his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins so there would be nothing that got between our ability to be in unity with Jesus. Now, we have one more song that we're going to sing together. And and during this next song, I'm going to invite you to take communion, to participate and take of the bread and the cup. But I want you to do it in a way that you are actually visualizing yourself sitting down at the table with the resurrected Lord and talking to him about all the things right now that don't make any sense that you don't have the answers to. And just share those things with him. Now I'm not saying that as you take the cup and the bread, all of those questions will go away. But what I do believe and I do have trust and hope in is that Jesus's resurrecting power will come in your life. And it may be this morning, and it may be in two days, and it may take a while, but Jesus will come, and Jesus will bring that resurrection and that life. And this is our way of sort of saying, yes, Jesus, please (laughs) bring purpose, bring meaning, bring clarity to what is going on in this moment. Bring resurrection. So let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that you stuck with us. (laughs) That at no point in your life you said, this is too hard. But instead, your love for us compelled you to, to live your life to the end, to take on the pain and the suffering of the cross, and then to come back triumphantly so that we too can experience life and resurrection and fullness. And so, Father God, would you in this moment, would you sit down with every person, wherever it is that they are, would you sit down with them and allow them to just pour out their hearts on the pain and the suffering that they're experiencing, on the questions that don't seem answerable. Would you sit down with them in that invitation. And Father, would you bring resurrection? Father God, we pray all of these things in your holy and your precious name. Amen. Go ahead.
1: Grace. I Join with all ¡Suscríbete great okay.
0: you walk in the hope of the resurrection. May you be dripping with the life of Jesus, no matter where it is that you go, no matter where it is that you stay, that on this Easter morning and for all the days to come, that you would walk with Jesus, amen.